0: Well, our next figure in church history is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you all probably remember, he's my favorite figure in church history for a number of reasons. Um, And we'll get into some of those things. I'll say this, this is definitely probably going to be the hardest one for me to cover. I try to keep these 20 to 30 minutes. I did an hour survey of Lloyd-Jones' life at the youth camp two summers ago. And there's so many things that are worth mentioning, so we'll try to stay on task here. Um, I'll read the scripture, and it actually is included in the section I read last week, but I just want to read one verse. Last week, looking at Charles Finney, we read Ephesians, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. I think we went through 1 through 5, but I just want to look at verse 2. Um, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the scripture, and that is a very true and concise scripture related to Martin Lloyd Jones' life. And there are a number of quotes I could give you from Martin Lloyd Jones. I suppose one I'll give you is just this. Um, He said that people tend to think about Christianity um, in the same way they would think about a hobby, something they would take up. You take up a sport or a country club. He said, no, my dear friend, Christianity takes you up. And. That's, that was his approach both to Christianity, but also to preaching. So the first question I'll ask is, who was Martin Lloyd-Jones? Martin Lloyd-Jones was born in Wales in December of 1899, right at the turn of the century. His parents were both at least nominally Christian. Um, I have no reason to say that they certainly weren't, but they were definitely raised in a context where Basically, if you were a part of the church in any way, you were assumed to be a Christian. People were that gathered together in the assembly were all assumed to be um, related to and trusting in Christ. And so that was kind of their position. Lloyd-Jones' dad was, as I understand it, more politically involved than anything else. Lloyd-Jones did have three brothers. I believe he was the middle son. I think he had an older brother and a younger brother. Lloyd-Jones demonstrated from a very young age that he had an extraordinary mind. Um, one interesting story is when Lloyd-Jones was a young boy, he almost died. There was a fire in their house, and he nearly died as a result of this fire. And I heard him say in an interview one time that he, uh, he had a real sense that God had spared his life for an important reason. And that actually was one of the things that led him to practice medicine initially, As he believed, even though he wasn't yet converted himself, he believed that God had a purpose. He believed there was a God and that this God was in control and that he had spared his life to make a positive impact on society. And that directed him initially towards medicine. After the fire, his family ended up moving from Wales to London. And after they moved to London, Lloyd-Jones would go on to study medicine. He studied at a place called Bart's, Bart's Medical School. Um, What's interesting about this is I heard a man say in a documentary about Lloyd-Jones that uh, Bart's is the medical school that the fictional character Sherlock Holmes attended. And so he trained at Bart's as this medical doctor and then went on to become a detective, Sherlock Holmes. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones was trained as a medical doctor, went on to become a preacher. And the way that Lloyd-Jones dealt with problems, as his history and training in medicine, was he was very much into diagnostics. Lloyd-Jones would diagnose the problem, he would look at the issues, whether related to sin or suffering or life in general. He looked at the problem and got to the heart, the root of the issue, as in just the same way a doctor would, in order to find the right cure. And that's the same way that you can consider Sherlock Holmes, that he would look at all the possible scenarios and diagnose the problem very much mentally engaged. And I heard a man in a documentary say that if, Lloyd, or if uh, Sherlock Holmes would have been uh, a preacher, he would have been like Martin Lloyd-Jones probably. And I think that's probably a fair assessment. Lloyd-Jones, during his time at Barts, he stood out as a medical student and then eventually would get the attention of the royal physician. And so this would have been the physician to the royal family, the most coveted medical physician in all of London at the time. So you're getting to treat the royal family and higher-ups in society. That was uh, the man who was doing that noticed Lloyd-Jones. I believe he was able to diagnose an issue with the person's spleen, um, and he was able to do so just by feeling it with his hand. And the the doctor was was extremely impressed at his ability to to figure out what the problem was. Well, fast forward Lloyd-Jones' is apprenticing underneath this royal physician, and he was having all this success and notoriety, and he was really um, second in line to be the royal physician. He was set up for the most coveted medical position in all of England, and he's, all he's got to do is continue to work and buy his time, and he's going to be there. And it was during this time that he came under deep conviction concerning his own sin. During this personal time of wrestling, as he's looking at his own life, he grew up in a kind of a spiritual context, hearing about God, going to church, learning some things, but never having it really personally applied to himself, and so. During this time that he comes under conviction um, and he's looking at these patients that he's seeing and he came to realize that most of their suffering was not a result of just physical um, ailments. It was sin related, that it was either drugs or alcohol or um, sex. It was different things that were leading to these physical issues. And Lloyd-Jones realized they had a deeper need than their physical. Now, even though he would go on to leave the medical field, he still continued to read medical journals throughout the rest of his life. even would speak at medical conventions. Even up to 30 years after he's practiced medicine and only been a preacher, they still had him come in to go and speak to the medical convention about the difference between demonic possession and mental illness. 30 years removed from medicine and they still, that's how highly regarded. This isn't just some man who failed in medicine and decided, oh, I'll go be a preacher. This is someone who was at the top of his field in medicine and gave it up because God called him to do something different. And so my point, though, is that he stayed. He very much valued the medical study. And that's I think that's important for a number of reasons. But in a somewhat scandalous move, as I mentioned, and it was a scandal at the time, Lloyd-Jones stepped away from medicine, left London and moved back to Wales to become a minister. Now, at this time, the Presbyterian Church in Wales, they would not allow you to be a pastor of a church unless you'd gone to their seminary, to their schools. You had to get the proper education to be a pastor. Well, Lloyd-Jones didn't go to seminary, but he was an extremely well-read man, very intelligent. He understood the gospel, and they would not allow him to take what they considered to be a proper or normal church because he lacked an education. Now, he's an educated man. He's a trained doctor, for crying out loud, but he's not trained in their school. And so they said, no, you can't. Well, they let him go and preach at what was called a forward mission movement, a kind of mission type church in a very poor part of town. Um, And then later on, as a result of his impact, he would be recognized as a pastor within that denomination, but just not initially. Lloyd-Jones immediately directed the church there away from gimmicks and ploys to attract people through carnal means, and he made prayer and the preaching of the word as primary focus. One interesting story that I've heard is that whenever he got there, they had a, basically they had a, a stage that they could erect, and the pulpit there was on wheels. And they would have a drama club that would come on and put on these performances and entertain crowds of people as kind of a, an outreach thing that they did. And I heard it reported from at least one person that said that he actually shortly after coming to the church, went and nailed the pulpit to the center of the platform there so that they couldn't take it out anymore. And the, uh, there's, a, there's a report in the minutes of the business, one of the business meetings, on what they were going to do with all their drama uh, materials because the, fi- the drama team had been fired and they weren't going to try to reach people through carnal means. And this, keep in mind at this time, he's like 26, 27 years old, going into pastor, never having pastored, never been to seminary. He's just been converted, lit on fire with the truth of God's word, and he trusted only in the scriptures and the preaching of Christ. That fueled his every decision, even from a young age. I heard him say in another interview one time that he was asked what made him think that he would be a good preacher, because he knew he could practice medicine, but he'd never really preached much. He'd spoken at a couple of more political addresses, but not really preached. And the answer he gave, I think, is profound. He said he didn't know if he would be any good at preaching or not, but he knew what he wanted to say. And he had a feeling that whenever the time came, he'd be able to say it. Now, that's not him saying that he knew ahead of time, all he had all this vast knowledge, and he's just going to go up there and be topically saying whatever he wanted to say. Not in that sense. What he meant by that was that he was convinced that what needed to be proclaimed in the context of the church was the gospel. It wasn't being proclaimed in the way that it should. And he trusted the Lord would help him to say it in the way he needed to say it. But even in that, he's not looking for some specific model in how to proclaim or how to speak outside of what God led him to do. And so that's kind of some initial things. Um, Lloyd-Jones as well, this gathering that he was a part of, it grew from... They housed, I think, I want to say they housed between five and six hundred people Was the size of this venue. But when he got there, it was under a hundred, maybe between 50 and a hundred. But under a hundred, it was very much dwindling whenever he got to this forward mission church. And then in the first five years, it grew to be over 400 people. So to go in somewhere as a minister in your 20s with no seminary education to take away all the carnal attractions that you are getting people to come in with and do nothing but focus on the preaching of the word and prayer and to go from to almost over quadruple the amount of people coming to the church. The interesting thing, too, is the majority of these people being converted um, and coming to the church. They're not people that are coming because the scandalous Lloyd-Jones is here. This is. 400 people that are coming that have been individually converted. They're not transferring from another church. The majority of them were lost, were drunks, were common workers that were coming in to the church during this time. Two of the people converted during his ministry at this time was the church secretary when he came was converted. And his own wife, Bethan, were converted under his ministry in the early years. He and his wife were married the same year he took this first church and they would have two daughters who both grew up to be godly women. Lloyd-Jones would serve in this first church in Wales for 11 years. And then after 11 years, he was preparing to step down for a couple of reasons. He said that his voice was failing him. He was getting to the point physically where he was just unable to preach any longer. And then also he was interested in pursuing a position at a Christian college, a university, um, Because of his failing voice, and he just had an interest in education, even though he himself didn't go to seminary. Um, But he would not ultimately be offered the job. And one of the reasons was he was known as a controversial figure. Because he preached to people as if they were actually lost. He didn't just assume that people were Christians. And the other ministers and the other leaders and the people at the college, they didn't like that. Now, they couldn't deny the respect and the, the power of his preaching, the impact he was having... But they didn't like his position in challenging people whether they were truly converted. So he wasn't offered the job because of that. um, But it would seem the Lord had other plans for him anyway. So though his voice had been failing during this time between stepping down from uh, the first church that I believe it was called Sandfields was the area. But during that, when he stepped down from there, during the time between that church and trying to wait and find out about the university he was invited to come and serve at Westminster Chapel as an associate pastor. And so he goes there to Westminster uh, Chapel um, to preach alongside Campbell Morgan. And at this time, Westminster Chapel was the largest preaching venue in all of London. He would share the pulpit there as an associate pastor for a couple of years and then would become the primary preaching pastor at Westminster for the next 30 years. And so it's amazing to see the Lord evidently restored his voice. You do it for 11 years and you think I don't have any more in me and then the Lord moves you somewhere else and you do it for an additional 30. After he retired from Westminster Chapel, Lord Jones would spend the next 10 to 15 years preaching itinerantly, doing radio and television interviews and speaking at university campuses to prospective ministers. Um, he transcribed many of his sermon series into books during this time as well. Some of the most notable ones are Spiritual Depression, which is an incredible book. You also can find Preachers in Preaching, which is actually transcribed from some lectures that he gave at Philadelphia at a, basically a, a Bible college seminary. He gave it to prospective young ministers there, and they were transcribed into that book. Um, he's got series, some wonderful series that he preached on the Bible that have been made into books. So that's kind of an overview of who he was, um, and it's killing me to be so short with him. But the second question is, what was the state of the church during the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones? Well, the church had made great strides following the Protestant Reformation, and as we've considered recently, like with Edwards and Whitfield and the Wesleys, we saw great movements of God in the First Great Awakening, both in the United States and in England. And then later, Next century, after, after Whitfield and Edwards, we saw God move mightily through the likes of Charles Spurgeon. And then even more recently, we've seen through Charles Finney, perhaps God did some amazing things, although there were some really um, not great things that took place in the so-called Second Great Awakening. But the prevailing attitude at this time during Lloyd-Jones' life was in many ways veering kind of in one of two ways, either towards a dead orthodoxy, or towards a pragmatic emotionalism, which was devoid of truth. And so you had a lot of historic churches that were grounded in truth and they knew the right things. This would have been Lloyd-Jones' tradition, kind of the dead Orthodox church that they had truth that they were holding on to, but there was really no life involved in the thing. There was very much a a very cold and academic and lecture-esque type preaching. And that would have been the one extreme, the other extreme, and it was really taking off in the Americas The colonies would have been this pragmatic emotionalism that wasn't focused primarily on truth. The church seemed to be thriving. Um, Just from the outside looking in, there were many cooperative efforts being formed, and yet lasting holiness was often far removed from the life of religious endeavors. Christianity, it would seem, was losing its relevance, and it was being disregarded as either unintelligent by the elites or useless by many of the big thinkers of the day. For many people, Christianity was nothing more than a political alignment or a social connection. And Lloyd-Jones was in touch with that. He would often speak to people who would have this idea that the value of Christianity was you had the church get involved whenever you're going to christen a baby who's born or when you're going to have a funeral. But it was a social event. And we can probably see that same reality today. People want the church involved when there's a tragedy or some... Celebration, But as far as everyday real life, there's no real practical use for it. Well, that was much the state of things in Lloyd-Jones' day, which wasn't that long ago. He died in 1981, as we're going on to see. And so, um, you know, he lived during at least some of your lifetimes in here. And so this is a, a more recent figure, to be sure. The third question we'll ask is what impact did Martin Lloyd-Jones have upon the church? Some have regarded, I know I heard Paul Washer say this, some have regarded Martin Lloyd-Jones as the last of the Puritans. What began as a scandalous career change would go on to prove one of the mightiest influences upon Christianity during his lifetime. R.C. Sproul said that Martin Lloyd-Jones was to the church in his lifetime what Charles Spurgeon had been to the church during his. And that's pretty high praise. Many would regard Spurgeon as to be the greatest influence in the history of the church, period. And so to be compared to him is, I believe, quite a, quite a, a, a gracious thing coming from R.C. But I don't disagree. Lloyd-Jones was a, a mighty figure, and he had a great deal of impact. And for a number of reasons, <clears throat> Lloyd-Jones, one thing I love about him the most, is that he went against the grain in every conceivable way that you could most people today in ministry have the idea that if you're going to be uh, successful you've got to be relevant you've got to figure out what's the right clothes to wear what's the right way to talk what's the right way to present a message what's the right subjects to talk about what's the right translation to use people ask even this is even amongst like like orthodox people are asking these questions lloyd jones it's almost as if if there was something being suggested that he needed to do to reach people he would it seems go the complete opposite way he would not depend or lean upon anything related to the arm of the flesh i even heard one of his daughters say that whenever he was preaching he had this what they call a welsh hoil just a real strong vigorous type of voice and that if he got the sense that he was impressing people with the strength of his voice and it wasn't he he had the sense it was him impacting people with his charisma and not the holy spirit he would back off And he he didn't want to influence people in himself. He wanted God the Spirit to be the one to influence people. So he was very much against the idea of pragmatism and being flashy in every way. Lloyd-Jones publicly shamed the idea of appealing to the culture or advertising to draw a crowd. On one occasion, Lloyd-Jones refused to give a statement. There was a mighty act. There There was great things going on at Sandfields. People were coming in droves to hear him preach. And a reporter approached him and said, we'd like to run something in the paper about what's going on. Can you give us a statement? Lloyd-Jones said, no. He said, I'm not going to try to interfere with what God's doing. He doesn't need my help. God's doing this, and I'm not going to try. That's just the attitude that Lloyd-Jones had towards ministry. Not trying to do things to try to help God as though he needed help. He was utterly dependent in everything that he did. Lloyd-Jones' preaching was biblical. And in a day, and that may sound odd for me to emphasize, but he preached the Bible. And it was a growing trend in Lloyd-Jones' day to get away from the Bible. There were even popular preachers during his day that I've heard him deal with in sermons saying, so-and-so said that all Christians should take a year off of the Bible, and they should only, whenever they come together for their services, should only focus on political ideas and how we're supposed to live and not be reading the Bible for a whole year because it's just distracting us. This was a contemporary voice, a very influential voice during the life of Lloyd-Jones. And so whenever I say he was biblical, I mean he didn't just take a scripture here or there. He He preached the Bible. He would take and preach an entire series on Ephesians, Romans, the Gospel of John, Old Testament passages. He would work through the context of what's actually written. He was biblical. He preached what the text said. He's known by many today as the With a definite article, the expositor. In a day when many were getting away from the exposition of the scriptures, he leaned all the more upon the Bible. Lloyd-Jones was committed to this idea of logic on fire. That's the title of the documentary about his life that I highly recommend. Logic on fire. It's the idea he believed that what the church most needed was the truth of the scriptures, the truth of Christ crucified to come alive in their souls that they would be lit on fire. I mentioned before you had kind of a contrast in the church. The state of the church, you have some who are kind of this dead orthodoxy, this cold appeal to truth with no real life. And then you have others who are all about emotionalism and excitement. And it's the same thing we see today. And he believed that if you really came to see and understand the truth of the Bible, that it was the truth of God's word which would set you ablaze. It was logic on fire. It wasn't fire without truth, and it wasn't truth that keeps you dead and still. It was logic on fire. That was what he believed was true of the Christian and also of preaching. And he was utterly dependent upon the spirit of God. The Lord blessed Martin Lloyd-Jones with an unusual sense Of power and with the presence of God when he preached. Many people I've listened to in different settings have reported to Lloyd Jones having heard him preach and that they had the real sense that they weren't just hearing truth as he would preach, they weren't just hearing the word explained to them, but they had the real sense that God was there with them in the room with Lloyd Jones as he was communicating. There was an other sense about what he was doing. And the most intelligent thinkers, those who were the lofty minds of the day, were challenged by Lloyd-Jones logic. They were challenged. One person said on one, on one occasion, not a Christian. Somebody said on one occasion of Lloyd-Jones, they said, he answers all of my objections before I can even raise them. He just had such a logical, sharp mind. And yet, the common people would have their hearts warm. Those who were just laymen, workers they would come in with their whiskey bottles and after getting converted, they would give them to Lloyd-Jones. And that's reported he had stacks of them in the basement under the church. People who would come and be delivered and just give everything up. And so he reached the masses, whether the high class, high society people, or those who were in the, the gutters of life. He reached all types of people. I believe Martin Lloyd-Jones became the most prolific preacher in his day. And he did so without ever wavering in his commitment to the orthodox truth of the scriptures. Just to contrast our recent lesson on Charles Finney, who we looked at as being the really the original source of what's practiced today in altar calls. Lloyd-Jones was once asked to participate in one of Billy Graham's crusades. They were contemporaries. Billy Graham's team of people saw the success and the influence and the impact and the popularity of Lloyd Jones. So they reached out to him and said, would you like to come and join in one of our crusade events? Lloyd Jones responded to the invitation and said he was willing to consider the invitation, but one of his requirements is that they would have to do away with their manipulative altar call. Well, the invitation was rescinded. (laughs) They weren't going to have Lloyd-Jones come if it meant they couldn't have their altar call. And we'll, we'll talk more about Billy Graham and probably the, one of the next, maybe the next message that we go over together. Um, but yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones was committed to trusting God and not manipulating people. And I can't think of a single noteworthy figure in the modern era. In our era right now, within the life of the church today who does not recognize Martin Lloyd-Jones as having a significant impact on their ministry. So one of the reasons I started to look into his life and read after what he's written and listen to his sermons is because every person that I heard preach today that I thought was significant in their understanding of truth and helpful to me, they were all talking about Lloyd-Jones, and I thought, well, who is this guy? And so I started investigating for myself, and I can say they're they're not wrong. On that list would be included Alistair Begg, Paul Washer, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, John MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul. You, you, the list goes on. Steve Lawson. The list goes on and on and on. You find a guy with, with some noteworthy significance in the church today, then they I can guarantee John Piper. I can guarantee you they've been influenced by by Martin Lloyd Jones in a in a significant way. His written works, which are based upon the sermons he preached, continue even to today to be a fruitful source of help and encouragement to Christians. Now, this is what's fascinating to me, is that I've met a number of men who have read after Lloyd-Jones, and they say his reasoning, his logic is so precise, it's so glorious to read what he's written on the Scriptures, and yet I've done more listening to Lloyd-Jones preach than anything else. I would say with... As much as I understand truth, period, I would say that I don't believe that there's ever been a greater preacher recorded that I've heard. And maybe Spurgeon was a greater preacher. Maybe Whitfield was. But we can't listen to their sermons. Of all those who've ever been recorded that I've listened to, which is not a small number, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones' his preaching was unlike anything I've ever heard. And not just gifting, not just his argumentation, not not any of those things. It was this sense of, there was this sense in his preaching, even through a recorded medium, there's this sense of glory, of triumph, of God, of Christ. You can tell he is seeing as he's preaching the living God. And you just want to see what you can hear that he's seeing in that moment. I listened to Lloyd-Jones not to prepare myself to preach, but because it makes me weep. Because it moves my soul and brings me to tears every time I listen to the man. So I can't encourage you enough to go and listen to him. And you can find his sermons on the MLJ Trust website. And I highly recommend that. As helpful as his written works are, and they are helpful, they pale in comparison to hearing him preach. He was a preacher of unique quality. And as I said, not necessarily because of his volume. He was a loud preacher at times, but he also could be much quieter than me. He would just begin interacting with an idea. Almost lull you to sleep as he's reasoning something out. But then as the Spirit of God comes upon him and he's lifted into a higher realm and then he's getting faster and louder and he is seeing something of eternal glory. It bled through. Christ bled through him in every sermon. The death of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the fourth point, is that he died in 1981 after a lifetime of faithful ministry. And he died in much the same way as he lived, entirely devoted to Christ. One of his daughters reported that as Lloyd-Jones was about to die, he was lying in bed, and he was really past the ability to speak. He took a pen and he wrote with the pen, Don't pray for healing. Don't hold me back from the glory. That was his attitude as he faced his own death. On his headstone is the scripture from 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 that we read. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's one of the things that stands out about Lloyd-Jones. Is that you go and you find men that are influential, that are helpful, that are seen as intelligent. For a number of reasons, helpful to the church in many ways when you find a shining light that stands out among the rest such as a Spurgeon or a Lord Jones these are men who preached Christ wherever they're at in the scriptures they're preaching Christ and I believe that is the preaching that God is most prepared to honor and that is exactly the life of Lloyd Jones he determined to know nothing except Christ to those whom he preached and any record of his life that's honest is going to conclude That that was more than just wishful thinking on his headstone. It was absolutely true of him. And with you all as my witness and Raina as well, I would love for that to be on mine. But as I say, only if it's true. So the fifth point is what can we learn from the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones? One of the greatest threats against the church today is the constant insistence that we need extra biblical methods to reach people for God. i don't just say this amongst or talking about those churches we would say are less than biblical this is true in this trust in the arm of the flesh is true all across the board even in those churches we might recognize as being theologically aligned with us And, and i think it's it's a hard thing because on the one hand it's like i'm thankful for the resources that we get But then you find that these great ministries have ad campaigns and and there's justifications as though the Lord needs so much of our help. And I guess I wouldn't say that all of that's always wrong all the time, but I believe that one of the greatest weaknesses of the church today is her supposed strength. And as we see in Lloyd-Jones' life, this is one of the things I love so much about the man, is that there's no explanation for him. In a context that was prepared to reject him because of he was returning back to an old way, an old-fashioned, unpopular way of doing things. And everyone, all his contemporaries are moving on. Upward and One Lloyd-Jones. What are you stuck in the past for? He went back. He went back to the truths which were upheld during the Reformation and during the Great Awakening. He went back to the truth of Christ and the Scriptures. And the Lord blessed it. He wasn't flashy. He didn't present himself in a way to appeal to people god blessed it there's no explanation for the way that god used lloyd jones outside of god was pleased to use it and i believe the lord is glorified in that exact way whenever there is no explanation except for god acted that was true of lloyd jones life and so um, there are many things i just my mind is flooded I don't even know how long we've been going here, but my mind is flooded with wonderful stories about Lloyd-Jones that I've heard and read. Um, I just would encourage you to find out, to study the man's life, but only in so much as looking at his life takes you to Christ, because that's what he, he would be most interested in. And I would say this, like I said before, I weep when I hear him preach, but not because of the greatness of this man, but because of the way God used him to magnify the greatness of Jesus Christ. That, that's really the thing that, that um, is so great about Him, I believe. And so I pray that's encouraging to us and that we would be motivated to, to
1: live our lives in a like
0: way so that others can see Christ in us. So with that, bow with me and we'll pray and then we'll gather together for corporate time of prayer. Heavenly Father... Lord, I do thank You for what You've done in the history of the church. Lord, I pray that You would act upon us in a like way as we've been hearing, that You would do mighty things for Your people. Father, I pray that You would be pleased to impact souls. Lord, that You would burn off all of the excesses, all of the things that, that we're prone to trust in, and that You would show Your, your hand is mighty and You need no help. Father, I ask that you would bless our time of prayer, that you would encourage us as we gather together now. I ask in Jesus' name.